bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who say music with their lunch. Who on that bochinche? Paquete con pinche. You know what they said? Got super glasses thinking. Aquí en esta mesa se respeta como ñón. Si la copa está llena, yo te doy la bendición. So what if we get batches? We from the Bronx. That's it. Don't get it twisted. We be going to Manhattan. Be a queen. Be a boss. Ladies who brunch are popping off. Hey, we pop, pop, and pop it off. We, we pop, pop, All pop right. The episode's about to start. What's up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of Ladies Who Bronche. I am Julissa. What's good, everybody? This is Skittles. And this week, <laughs> I honestly, it took entirely too long for this moment to come, and it's totally our fault. Um, but this week, we have somebody who, all right, I'm going to give a deeper intro this week. Because really, really, truly, and I've said this before, but I'm going to reiterate it again on mm-hmm. your episode. Somebody who really inspires me and somebody who really motivates me to continue doing the work that I do um, and to stand grounded in my truth as I do the work that I do. Mm. And somebody who I will never forget, parent-teacher conference, my father was outside talking to her mother in Spanish. I was like, who he found? <laughs> and it was <laughs> Catherine's mama, Calazo. Who the fuck are you? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> What's good, everybody? Hello, everyone. I'm Kat Lasso. I am a host. I'm a producer. I'm a director. Uh, a lot of folks probably know me from the series that I developed called The Cat Call, a video series that debunks the misconceptions about Latinos, Latinequis. Yes. And yes. I am also a friend of yes. both Julissa and Skittles. <laughs> yes. I, I'm sure we're going to get into that, maybe, hopefully. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we met at LaGuardia High School. Yes. You were one year above us, um, but she was very kind. She was not one of those people who were like above like senior to you who like treated you like shit or at least me i didn't get i didn't get <laughs> that like bullying we were in the same department we were in the drama department who were your three teachers actually or four teachers rather oh my god okay so just a heads up i don't know if people know this about me but i do have very bad memory <laughs> here we go here we go so mr l aka yes. lobenhofer uh, <laughs> richard harden r.i.p r.i.p uh no did you have nagel I didn't have Nagel. I think I only had L and and Harden, and Harden. sort of and interchangeably. And then I would sneak Moody? into who? Moody, Mr. James. No, Moody. I was just gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> I would sneak into Mr. Moody's, um, not his classes, but his lunchtime. Ooh, so I don't know if you remember, but yeah. he would basically have lunch in the like drama department, but like in the classes. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like I never had him as a as a teacher. And honestly, like he was the only, only black, black dude. Man, <laughs> nope. Only black person, only black teacher. So I was just like, let me just sit in during these lunches and just, you know, observe and interact and soak in all the movie <laughs> gems. Yes. Yes, he was a he was he's an interesting man. Shout out to James Moody. Um, so you so you mentioned the cat call um, and some of the work that you do. Tell us a little bit about what inspired you to move away from just doing acting and taking on a fuller suite of talents. Um, so when I was younger, obviously, like you know, I went to LaGuardia because I wanted to be an actress. And to try to make a long story short, I really you know LaGuardia was a very for me. It was uh, a space where I felt very safe, safe-ish. Mm. Um, you know, we had lots of, like, colorblind casting. Right. So um, in a world, you know, out- outside where folks would cast based on strictly, like, your race, your ethnicity, 
my experience at LaGuardia was one where I was like, here, any roles, whatever, take it, do it, you know, even if it was like even gender, you know, it was right. like, fuck it yeah. up, you know, switch it up. Um, and then I graduated. I had a manager and agent. Um, FYI, all of this was also navigating to put people more in context, like, I'm navigating this as, like, how old are you when you graduate? 18? 18. Yeah, yeah. I'm, like, 18, navigating this by myself, unlike the other people that I went to school with who, like, had parents who were in the industry, who were yeah, either already right. working in the theater, in theater district, or, you know, had parents who were actors or who were producers or who were casting agents or whatever the hell. Like, I have... I had no context for that. So right. I was literally like 18-year-old me going into like an agent's office and like signing a contract and being like, I don't know what the fuck I'm eh, signing. <laughs> right, right. So navigating that and then walking into um, auditions as an 18-year-old girl who was still very much developing her own identity as a whole, still mm, developing right. also her like um, critical thinking skills as it revolved around like identity gender race and all of that stuff and walking into like casting rooms where you know majority of the time if not all the time <laughs> it was like you know white men who right. were the casting directors and i noticed i think for me like um a big point of the development of like i guess my critical thinking when it comes to quote-unquote latinidad and colorism that exists within us you know, had to do with my experiences in those casting rooms mm -hmm. because I would go, you know, for roles for, you know, the Latina role. And I would see how sometimes the rooms would start out uh, mixed, you know, like in terms of a hue, you saw um, women who looked like me, you know, I would say quintessential Latina looking, you know, light brown, straightish mm -hmm. hair. Mm -hmm. And there were like, you know, other women in there who were darker. But then as the casting calls would happen and you had the second callback, I noticed, I'm like, wait a second, everybody got a whole lot lighter now. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like to the point where I was like, am I the darkest person in here? Yeah. <laughs> and so, wow. and that's an issue. Yeah. If, yeah. I know you can't yeah. see me because this is a podcast, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> pretty fair. Um, and so I say that to say that like, I would enter these spaces and, um, my presence, I noticed uh, folks were accepting, but then, you know, being like, you're not Latina enough. Um, mm -hmm. And, like, the nuances in that, too, right? Because I'm Colombian, and I'm, I'm half Colombian, half Peruvian. Mm. Um, and New York is a very, like, Caribbean-centric uh, uh, space when it comes to mm. uh, Latinos, because they are the dominant um, uh Latino. Shout out to Dominicans. <laughs> Dominicans, 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 Puerto Ricans. <laughs> and so I think like, and then, and then you have like the overall general yeah. uh, Latino representation, which is like mainly like Mexican, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And so I'm neither, I'm, I'm none of those. And so when I walked into spaces, people were confused by my accent. Also because I have, you know, two parents with two different accents. My accent when I speak Spanish is different and mm -hmm. i'm americanized so i have like a really white girl spanish accent that's like maybe a little colombian maybe a little Peruvian, maybe a little like nothing and so <laughs> people would just be like mm, 
that was I don't, I don't know but like can you say that a little more urban yeah. I remember uh, I know I'm like uh, now I'm, I'm running <laughs> I don't even remember what you asked me but <laughs> I, I have a vivid memory and I have very little vivid memories the first audition I ever went on and I was younger than 18 I, I think I had to go with a parent legally mm. was for a PSA to encourage kids to not skip school uh <laughs> I never saw this PSA, <laughs> and right. I also didn't follow it. <laughs> but, um, and the commercial was something along the lines of, like, a young girl is calling out to her friend from, uh, her friend is, like, up in an apartment, and her friend is being like, hey, come out. <laughs> you should come to school. <laughs> and I remember I did it probably something like that, and the casting director was like, that was great. Now, can you say it a little more urban? And that was the first time I ever heard that sentence. Yeah. And I was like, and it goes to show you, you know, like, I was offended. But at the same time, I was like, I know exactly what you want. I was like, right. hey, girl, <laughs> can you please come to school, please? And so oh I say this to say that that was like back-to-back auditions that were like that, where I think it was outsiders, men, it was um, non-Latino people who were basically uh, judging not your acting skills because when you are a non-white actor, no one is really, uh, at least entry-level acting, no one is judging your acting. Everyone's judging how well you fit into that stereotype, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so that took a really, really big emotional toll on me, and I just was like, this is not for me. I'm done. This is chipping away at my emotional health. And I just started working behind the camera. I'm self-taught. I've literally taught myself um, how to edit, how to film, the mechanics of a camera um, via YouTube. Right, right. <laughs> like, honestly, you YouTube. and Skittles both. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like YouTube tutorials in college. Like I didn't have. Um, a big desktop. I don't even think I had a laptop at that moment. Hmm. And I would sit in at the uh, computer lab, like during my lunch breaks or the gaps that I had in between classes. And they had all of like the fancy software, like Adobe and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I would take it, um, you know, on me and I would just like sit there for hours, just like using the software while watching tutorials to try to teach myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, from there, I mean, I, I'm, I'm laughing at myself now because I know I started this by saying, like, to make a long story short. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I just made a YouTube channel um, and implemented the skills that I learned. And then folks kind of caught on that there was someone who knew what she was doing with a camera, you know, built up my... Um, my freelance career. Right. Um, and from there just got hired by other folks, including me too. And that's where the cat call came out. Yeah. That was not a short story. No, but, no, but, but it was a worthwhile journey. Yeah. Like to hear like what you went through and how it really came about. And to know that it wasn't just something that you just woke up one day and was like, I want to make these empowering videos. It was literally like your experience as a woman that influenced. Yeah. And I think, and even a step further than that, because I remember like when I had first and like started seeing that your like content was coming out, like, and I think this was even maybe correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if it was before Stuart Weitzman or maybe after I had left Stuart Weitzman. Cause fun fact, we also worked at a shoe store together. But I remember when I saw it and I was just, and I remember thinking like, Oh wow. I didn't, I didn't even know Kat was so passionate about these things. And I remember mm-hmm. thinking it was super dope. And then thinking like, 
oh, okay, and it makes sense because, like, she's a Latina, but she's a little ambiguous. So, of course, <laughs> marketing-wise, like, it makes sense that she would get cast. That's dope. Mm. Not knowing the context until we, like, reconnected and started working together more and, like, it, you had reconnected with Skittles and we went to the YouTube thing that I started to really understand, oh, no, she's a bad boss bitch like she literally like mm-hmm. created this for herself it was not that she fit and this is and this is going back because like in LaGuardia like in our last year you do this like audition showcase and mm-hmm. like you know to see if agents will want you and stuff like that and I very much similar to Kat's experience was like you know the way people want me to present when when I have a piece of paper in front of me they want me to read it the way they they see me and how I look and so I mm-hmm. often and being like a larger woman than a lot of the other women around me, and not even just fat, I, I mean like tall and like just bigger in general, I'd always get roles. So either either they were like, oh, but she sounds too nice to be like bullyish. Mm. So then they're like, mm, we don't really know what to do with you. So I'm always like that that like friend, like that that like ride or die friend who's who's just like really smart, but also like really meek and like doesn't see herself as beautiful and blah blah blah. And it was a typecast where it was kind of like, yeah, well that some of that is true to who I am as a person, but like why does that have to be the kind of black woman I am? Because I'm not outrageous enough to be like this big, like, you know, uh, bully girl, but I'm, I'm, I'm not meek enough or I'm not small enough and poised enough to be your Juliet to the Romeo. Right. Mm. So like it was very, it was very weird. And I just didn't, I just didn't fuck with it immediately. Cause I knew what they didn't know about me. Um, and so I would often, I went through like my first, I would say like two to three years out of LaGuardia, spent a lot of time internalizing that and seeing some of our peers success and being like, yeah, they're super talented, but that makes sense because the way this world is set up for them, that's why they also got it. And like, and feeling like this, that like not understanding the work that people still, even amongst the privilege that they may or may not have, have to work through. So mm-hmm. I think it's really important that like that part of your story is always highlighted because it's very easy to be like, oh, of course, Cat makes sense, and you do make sense. You're fucking talented, but this is coming from you. This is not somebody putting a script in your hand and saying, "Hey, Cat," like you oh, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that yeah. Okay, yes, that is really important for people to understand um, because often I do get comments of like oh, okay, like, I'm just a personality. It takes me off when people say I'm either an influencer or a personality Mm. when there's so much work that I put into the videos that you see. You don't just show up as talent and say, okay, what do you need me to do? You're doing these projects. I think when it comes to anything that you see visibly with me in front of the camera, I can understand why people, if, you know, they don't understand the full story, they're like, oh, Me Too must have given her a script and she does this and that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but any projects that you've ever seen me in front of the camera, you know, I don't sign on. Like, just recently I had a meeting with another company who wants me to come on for to host a series and I told them, I'm like, you can't really find me on IMBD. <laughs> so if you want me on board, then you also have to bring me on board as either a writer or a producer. Come because on. Because I'm... That's not how I work. You right. Know? Like, I could yes. have, and I've chosen not to. So, and it's also in my nature. It's kind of, I guess, my type A behavior where I'm like, I'm going to end up suggesting people that we should interview, and I'm going to end up suggesting right. locations that we should use, and, right. you know, all this stuff, which makes me a producer, and it's going to make the content better. So right. just give me that credit. No, because I'm yeah. not just a pretty face. And yeah. Thank yes, you. Yes. Fuck it up. Yeah, yes. and I and I like so so sort of like because we're digging into this, but I, I I love this. And I, when you're sort of so you're representing the Latinx community to the degree in which you can. So I want to hear a little bit about some of the pushback that diff, that you get from our own community on the content that you're creating. 
Hmm, pushback that I get from our community. In terms of like, because <laughs> if we, there's one thing we can say about the cat call is that it's not afraid to be honest, even though it does so in a way that is not, um, it doesn't like block people off, right? Like it's not, it's not meant to be so like hardcore and like in your face. And if you're not down with this, this means you're ignorant. Like it doesn't call people on a way where it labels them as one thing right. because they don't know something. It's an opportunity of like, Hey, by the way, here's the facts just presenting it. And here's the context as to why it's set up this way. And it's, Hey, maybe not even necessarily your fault, but like, let's talk about it. Right. Yeah. And then there's mm-hmm. some people who might be like, nah, 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 how could you say that as a Latina? How could you do that as a Latina, even in our own community? So to give uh, more background, uh, I was hired by Me Too. This is now three years ago. And I was working there as a producer, meaning I had been making content that didn't involve me being in front of the camera at all. And the content that I was making as an East Coast uh, Latina, because... uh, overwhelmingly amount of the folks who work there were West Coast. Right. Um, And that's what all of those platforms unfortunately. Yes. Uh, I think except for Remesca. Mm -hmm. But, um, and so when I came on, I was basically just highlighting a lot of the people that I felt needed to be amplified and that so happened to be in the world of like digital Latinx representation, it happened to be more marginalized voices. So we're talking Afro Latinos, we're talking like queer Latinos mm-hmm. and or, um, mm-hmm. and I realized that uh, without intentionally doing it, I was disrupting the natural feed of that platform, mm. right? Because of the, if the majority of the producers were producing things from the perspective, from their perspective, aka a West Coast, aka perhaps a Chicano, perhaps right. a Mexican perspective, mine wasn't that. And so these videos that I was making were really disrupting that feed. And what I mean by that is like the comments were really like, oh, you know, this is not what I came to meet too for. Like, what the hell? Like, mm. oh. And a lot of like overt racism, a lot of overt homophobia. Um, and so for me, when I was reading these comments, I was like, a, a lot a lot of folks, my coworkers, were like, oh, don't let it get to you. Don't let it get to you. You know, like, haters will be haters. Continue doing the right. work that you're doing. Because the work I was doing was still getting a lot of views. But I felt like, one, these comments didn't have to do with me. I'm not in front of the camera, right? It was like right. the people, they were really criticizing, unfortunately, the people who were in front of the camera. And I felt like a big sense of responsibility as someone who had some kind of power as a content creator to kind of hold people's hands through a conversation. Mm. Um, and so that's how the cat call came about. And so when you say things like, yeah, you know, the cat call isn't something where it's like in your face, you know, calling people ignorant or something like that, um, that's really intentional. Right. Because I, I personally, as someone who also holds like a lot of privileged identities, um, I feel it's my responsibility to put in that extra labor and that mm. extra work to try to, you know, call in um, that community, you know, like the non-black, you know, folks and explain to them colorism in order to take that labor away from folks who are already experiencing, right. uh, let's say we're just using race and racism as an example who are already experiencing racism right right so that's how the cat call came about as a way to what i say um hold our community's hand through a difficult conversation 
Yes, that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And thank you for putting so much time and effort uh, on behalf of the communities that are still part of your community, right? Even if they're like, you know, like for me as a black woman, right, or Afro-Latina, because now I'm, we were talking a little bit offline Mm -hmm. about like using the term Afro-Latina versus just black. And like, I often do say I'm black. And I used to use it as a vehicle of of people being like, no, you're not. And I used to be like, yeah, Afro-Latino. And then I would follow up with Afro-Latino as a like, boom, new term for your ass. Like, Mm -hmm. I am black, right? And so, but like even communities like that, like uh, even the opportunities you've given me to like come on board and support some of your projects oh like that. Oh my God, I completely <laughs> forgot. Julissa wrote for the cackle. <laughs> no, totally. When I tell you that I have bad memory, you, like honestly. <laughs> All good. No, but to say that like opportunities like that are important and so I wanted to say that only to say that it's not just the conversations that you hold for these other communities it's the way in which you include them in your work that is super important because when other people say no right when you have that like power in the room you say yes and so everybody else has to say yes mm-hmm. um, you know or not have to I know it's a battle I know it's a battle but even it, which which is why I'm saying it holds even more value because it's not as simple as you snapping your finger and everyone's like no, I'm on board you have to advocate and so I think it is important for people people to really understand that side because you know even like on your social media you're awesome you're engaging you're fun you're funny like people know that but I think people need to understand that all of that that they get is also a result of a lot of hard personal labor and and passing up on projects and things because you're upholding integrity and that Mm -hmm. you know what I mean rather than just being like well I low-key need this come up so I'm gonna act like that's not an issue and just take my come up and shut the fuck up like that's not the person that you are and so I respect the shit out of that so yes Thank no you. one give me any more gin because i swear because <laughs> <laughs> we're drinking gin and lemonade <laughs> yes so cat we are about to go into our brunch questions when you are out at brunch with the girls what is your go-to baby that I love gin. Same. <laughs> That's what we're drinking here. Yes. Um, I've learned that it, it is very uncommon for women to drink gin. Apparently. Every time I order gin at a bar, whenever there's a male bartender, mm. which is usually the case, mm-hmm. they'll always make a comment like, oh, gin, who taught you how to drink gin? Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, gin I don't is know a who taught drink? you how to yeah. drink anything. What are mm-hmm. you talking about? But I love gin, and I like gin paired with anything that's, like, citrusy. Yes. So, like, if there is good lemonade, I love a good gin and lemonade, yeah. which is yes. what you all have provided me today, yes. which is why I'm going to be a man. <laughs> <laughs> I love, I'm a gin girl, too. I, I've, I've gone through phases in my life. I went through a heavy whiskey phase where I was drinking Maker's Mark and ginger with everything because I thought it made me cool because I drank Maker's Mark. Um, and then I moved to gin um, and I haven't, I've never jumped off of it. Like, I don't, I don't see the end of do my you, gin do journey. Do you uh, see a difference between gin and vodka absolutely there is a grand difference between gin and vodka y'all are so fucking extra like to give people some background prior to recording Uh. skittles had the audacity oh my god that gin is just like vodka Mm. i meant i meant this in the sense of because i saw the child was pairing it first off i didn't see that in the new all the new amsterdam bottles look the same until you look at the little band at the bottom that says gin or vodka. And oh, so you know Skittles. that, but you decided to Skittles. assume before I eating. I thought <laughs> that y'all were drinking vodka and lemonade, which is also a good refreshing pairing, which is why I said same thing 
right. to the gin and vodka and the vodka. Right. I mean, so it's not I'm the not same even thing. Skittles, I love you, but just just it's I'm not the same thing. <laughs> it is not the same thing. And I will say that for me with gin, like I could never drink a vodka soda. I've tasted them until I come, but I can do a gin and soda endlessly. Like you can give me bottomless gin and seltzer. This and is I'll why this is why I particularly don't like vodka because I think vodka for me was the entry. As I think Same. it's also for, for a lot most of people because it's when the cheapest. When you first start drinking, what do you get at the club? You get vodka the vodka cranberry. 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 Why well, said I like that? Vodka cranberry. Gins. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like when I drink vodka, I'm automatically like, oh, flashback to like really bad times in my life where I was yeah. like, yeah, mm. vodka cranberry. <laughs> right. Yes. Nah. I yes. see. I I like a good vodka and juice. I like gin and juice. I like whiskey and juice. The things that I can't do anymore that give me bad flashbacks is like apple flavored <sighs> any type of liquor any, like apple flavored yeah flavored like vodka is, and it's always see that's my thing vodka tends to be the liquor that does the like peach vanilla like all this <laughs> shit and it's Ooh, like it's unnecessary vanilla. it's mm. unnecessary Anyway, so when you're out to brunch, <laughs> drinking your fucking gin and lemonade and not your, lem- not, not your vodka lemonade, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is your go-to favorite brunch plate? Um, okay, because I've been anticipating coming to this podcast yeah, for, for three, three years, years. <laughs> that's me throwing a lot of shit lot of it. onto all of you all. But anyways, um, I'll say this. I'm a salty savory type of bitch yes okay. so i don't like sweets no pancakes i cannot and do pancakes i no can't french do toast. french toast i no can't waffles. do no waffles it just feels very heavy to me it's too much not sweetness. even chicken and waffles i can't i don't even like chicken and waffles i know come for me yeah Drag me. <laughs> <laughs> i'm here for it so anything that is like more on the savory side i can do you know the eggs benedict mm. i like a good like ranchero type yeah of yes. Yes. So Nice mm-hmm. little mix of that. Um, but I will call myself out and say, even though I don't like anything that's sweet, if I am at brunch with someone who orders something sweet, you I about do want to bite. Because you just want a little taste. You, you don't want a whole plate. You I a bite want, I want a touch. Uh-uh. 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 But are you sharing your, 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 your savory meal? Yeah, okay. I'm going to share. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but you better share at the same quantity. Yo, I'm that bitch. I literally, when you said that, I was like, I was like, but you got to even make sure that it's even. Because, yeah, like, I'll share with bite. you, but it got to be an even exchange. You, know, like, you can't, like, want half of my meal. Right. And it's also, I have a sh- equity. And I have a shrimp rule. If I'm eating shrimp, everybody knows they be counting them little shrimp. Yo. You want to taste my Yo. plate with shrimp in it? Nah, you can't just okay. have my shrimp. No, don't call the Derek other out. Day, nope, nope. The other day, I, what are you I, talking about? I'm not talking about Derek. I'm talking about the other day. <laughs> I ordered a shrimp or broccoli that came with four shrimps. <gasps> the and the rest where? was broccoli. Wow. Where was this called about? In the Bronx. Wang Eastern. Wang Eastern. Y'all fucked up. That's because you ain't ordered And I'm tight because that's the Chinese restaurant that knows how to get into my complex and delivers to my door. Wow. Yeah. Like they have the fancy caller ID that they memorize your address. Yeah. Four shrimps. Four shrimps. Did you call Did them? Did you call? Yep. I didn't. Oh, <gasps> see, you, you need pussy. to get white woman on there. <laughs> Always with my food orders, I get I get real Sarah real quick. I'm sorry, hi. I just made the order for blah 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 blah. Yeah, I just I don't believe it's for shrimp, right? Because I'm pretty sure, and I start going down that route, and uh-uh. then they they just I annoy them although, just to like. <laughs> although I will say, 
that I only use my like producer white woman tactics, <laughs> you know, on a more if it's like a family owned restaurant that I'm uh. like, all right, yeah, I'm gonna give you some slack. Yeah, but if it's like you know, you're at brunch at this fancy place. Oh no, I'm like, oh no no no. If no, I'm paying I will fourteen dollars for this <laughs> avocado toast, if I'm paying fourteen dollars for avocado and some motherfucking bread, you better believe I better have every fucking piece of whatever is supposed to come on here. The yep. eggs, the everything. No, there's a there, that definitely it's is a respect. rule. But I will say, having uh, one of my best friends' parents owns a Chinese food shop in the Bronx, and sometimes the shade be intentional. And because Ooh. I know that, uh, and because I know that, because he confirmed it for me, and obviously not all Chinese stores, but like this specific one. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's but like, crazy. I don't put it past them. <laughs> and and also, and that now I'm saying this, I'm like, we need to have David on the podcast. But like, also there are ways in which the way that, you know, China, the Chinese community views the black and brown communities mm, in which oh, they have these stores in always plays a role in how they're facilitating their business. And not to say that they're all racist, but some of them really, like, you know, think of these stereotypes as truths. And so they'll treat you a certain way, and, and you're not making it up in your head. So just that's the only reason when it's the Chinese uh, food store, I'm like, nah, 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 nah. That is a Give combo. me all my shrimp. It should have been six, yeah. at that least. That is a real combo to be had. That's a real conversation. Not not, not right now. Yeah. Not right now. So I'm uh, moving along. Kat, tell us a little bit about what it was like going out to eat when you were growing up. Ooh, I forgot about this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this question. Um, okay, so I have, I think, a weird... Um, I grew up thinking of going out to eat a little differently than I think some of my peers because to me <laughs> to me McDonald's was like me a too? fancy restaurant same yes like <laughs> my mom would always cook at home um unfortunately there was a lot of inequity <laughs> at my house my mom would my mom is a housekeeper she worked really late hours my father works as a packaging designer look it up i didn't know what it was when i was <laughs> and he would get home at like a traditional hour like three four five my mom would get home at eight and unfortunately due to gender dynamics we would have to wait for her to get home to oh, cook wow. but anyways my mom would cook and so we had um, meals at home, but on occasion, yeah. it was time to go out to mm. eat. Yes. And so McDonald's to me was like, oh, this is for rich white people. Yep, for real. <laughs> or, or, for example, um, when I would go with my mom to help her clean the apartments, these rich white people never had food in their refrigerators, but they had TV dinners. Right, like a hungry man. Yes, yes, I was. Yes. So I grew up thinking that TV dinners, and in particular, hungry man. Like I told you, I got bad memories. So the fact that I remember this is like a miracle. <laughs> that the hungry man TV dinner was like, this is some classy shit. Yes. And little did I know that, like, no, ma'am, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> McDonald's is not classy. What your mom is cooking at home is way classier than that. Um, but when, when we went out to eat, um, also I would say that when we did go out to eat, um, my mom is Colombian and my mm -hmm. father is Peruvian and my mother, both of my parents have very different, um, Im immigrant stories mm -hmm. and the fact that my mom came here with her whole tribe. She's one of seven. Um, she had her mother, her father, my 
grandmother, my grandfather here. And so she had very much a tribe here mm. when she arrived. My father came solo and his entire family is still in Peru. Mm. So when we went out to eat, there was also a special moment that would happen when we would go out and eat Peruvian food mm. because I would also see the joy in my father's face Um and when my father would cook also at home, the very few times that he did <laughs> growing up, clear. it was like Peruvian dishes. Right. Um, and so there was something very special about going out to eat at the Peruvian restaurants that we would eat at because I saw the joy that it would bring to my father. It was a form that my, a way for my father to connect back to his roots and feel like he wasn't missing out. Um, and I think I like caught on to that as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. And just like a, a quick comment on like the, the whole like fast food dynamic being <laughs> something that's fancy. Like that was absolutely true for me as somebody who's, whose mother also used to cook every day, blah, blah, blah. And, and I think that at some point in like, you know, marketing history land, they caught on to that. Like that, like, you know, marketers for companies like McDonald's and stuff. And that's when we started to see a lot of explosion, like even around, I'm loving it. Like when that mm -hmm. campaign launched, like. And that was when McDonald's was trying to like redeem itself after all the lawsuits because of people saying I'm fat because of McDonald's. Yeah, um, like the super yeah, the super size me. That's what I was. Yeah, yeah that's how I was yeah, like, yeah. what's the name of the thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so super size me. And I and I remember seeing like a surge in because my mom would always on the TV would Univision was like stuck on my living room TV, mm. and I would notice that. And in the in the moments of like, oh, we have a Latinx family, it would always be like this moment of like the kid being extra excited because it's right. so rare right. that they're mm -hmm. about to step into this McDonald's and ha yeah. and like that that and even sometimes when it's black families but like you know when it was like more white targeted I would never get that like the narrative would feel a little different but I can always feel the sense that they knew that it was special so they would market it to yeah. us as and special and even the dollar menu Yo, like shit like the dollar menu when the dollar menu yes, came out that was a huge deal and I didn't yeah. the, my first time okay so Sorry, we're like talking about McDonald's, <laughs> but like, but but not sponsored, <laughs> not sponsored, <laughs> not sponsored. Although if you're trying to throw me some coin, um, <laughs> but you know, for me, I think like one of I will never forget this. I was in middle school. I was in an after school program, and because if we went on a trip really late, they gave the facilitator a stipend or a petty cash rather, so that they can buy us food. Mm. So when we were in McDonald's, like they were like, "Oh, you guys have fifteen dollars each." And I remember being like, $15, that's mad money. Because every time I went with my mom, I was only allowed to get stuff from the dollar menu. One dollar menu sandwich, mm. fries, and if I wanted a Sunday, that meant I wasn't getting a drink. Like, it was like a three, almost like a $3 before tax limit. Mm. Um, so it was the first time in my life I was able to order something that was a numbered meal. And at the time, the chicken select strips had, had just Oh, my out. God, I remember <laughs> those, too. And it was like, a, I, I, I don't think, like, it's, it's so simple. And, and silly but like it was a moment of empowerment for me one because it was the first time I was able, able to make a food decision on my own mm. where my parents weren't uh, having an opinion on what I'm picking and I ordered the five piece instead of the three because I was like $15 so I could get the five piece oh. I could do and it was like the big and it was like the most I think I had ever enjoyed McDonald's to date and it was just more about the ex having a different experience in this space where I always had one specific experience mm -hmm. you know so anyway just wanted to share that <laughs> Um, true, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I can add one more anecdote. It would be that you know how like grandparents are always um, alcahuetas. I don't know yes. if that translates. Mm -hmm. uh, like, how do you say like, that? 
they spoil you yeah, yeah, yeah. on your parents' say. back. And so my yeah. grandfather on my mom's side, I know he would always be like, oh, I'm just going to take a, a, a Catherine al parque. And really what he would do was bring me to McDonald's. Oh. <laughs> like buy me, you know, a meal from McDonald's, like the Happy Meal. And I'd uh-huh. be like, <gasps> right. oh, my God. Yes. This is Yo. so special. I'm not supposed to have this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. All right. And so. I was about to be like, okay, Katarin. I don't know why I was about to call you Katarin. <laughs> I, channel, I channeled some some ancestor yes. of yours. I was like, Katarin. All right. Um, so what is your favorite uh, bochincha topic to talk about over a meal? Um, I have two. One is like personal relationships, sex. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, always sex. Sexual, you know, adventures. And yeah. then the other one is always like, industry yeah (laughs) yeah it's always uh i happen to have friends who like you know are either content creators you know producers influencers whatever um and there's always you know the close friends group on ig let's Mm -hmm. just say where you know you you get the real cheese man you get the real (laughs) dirt on what's happening i love that i love that All right, guys, and now we're moving into our Cheers to the Ladies Who section where we shout out dope moments and dope people doing dope shit. (sighs) You know, we got some sort of justice recently around Harvey Weinstein's case. So he was charged with rape in one of several counts. um, And he and there was another count that he was found guilty on. So he didn't we didn't get the full justice. Not everything came to justice, but Harvey Weinstein was charged with rape. That sentence is very powerful in the context of what we've been experiencing overall um, with the Me Too movement, right? And so I remember, you know, after Bill Cosby um, had gotten, you know, when he went to jail um, and he got charged, a lot of people had this question around, like, well, will this white man also be charged? Like, yes, Bill Cosby, stay your ass in jail, but mm-hmm. white man, are we going? Are you going to be joining him? Are y'all going to be cellmates? Because mm-hmm. both of y'all motherfuckers need stuff. So I think that. That, that that is important that he got charged to some degree. I don't love that it wasn't all the charges because I strongly believe all of the women that came forward against him. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. It is a, a, a needle that has been moved, and I think it's worth celebrating even if it wasn't sort of actualized to the full potential that everybody had hoped. Now that that has happened, though, and because Harvey Weinstein has really been the name that has been keeping the movement alive, not because he keeps it alive, but rather like the way we process news these days, we remember there's a million things to worry about. We remember and prioritize which one we care about the most this week, oftentimes by what's in the news. Um, And so I, you know, sort of wanted to have a conversation around how do we make sure that the purpose of this movement and the calls to actions around this movement remain alive, even though like one of the big monsters in the case have been or or in the cause have been brought down in terms of the industry but we have to remember that even though the me too movement had the conversation has widely been around people who have been victimized by people who have power in these sorts of industries uh, women getting raped or people in general but i'm speaking as a woman women getting raped 
you know, is still a, a large issue and there's still ways in which the justice system does not serve us well. And there's actually an exhibit here in New York and uh, I feel bad that I can't remember the artist's name where they collected rape kits from over 30 states and they have them lined up on the wall because they want to show the discrepancy where even from state to state, the way people are like, you know, investigating rape cases is not even, there's, there's not mm. even consistency there, right? So there's still a shit ton of work to do even in amidst the celebration of Harvey Weinstein getting some sort of punishment. So I'd love to hear at your general thoughts around the movement or around ways or areas of opportunity where you think we now need to rally to continue the work. I, I will jump in and just say that everything that you just said brought to mind a particular interview with um, Oprah and Lady Gaga where she mm. was talking about um, her story as a survivor and uh, how she suffers from fibromyalgia now, which is um, a side effect from the trauma. Mm -hmm. And just bringing up the point that, yes, it's like you said, Harvey Weinstein was like a big deal, but someone like Lady Gaga, who is essentially one of the most famous pop stars in the world and right. has paved the way for a lot of women, won't come forward and say who was her... Mm -hmm. her um, Rapist. Rapist. Yeah. Um, because she says that everybody in the industry has somebody on someone else. <laughs> and so it's one of those things like, yeah, we got Harvey, but there's a bunch of little assholes, right, <laughs> you know, right, right, asshole right. rapists running around in this industry. Yeah. And I feel like that is something that's going to, that's definitely something that women are going to come up against in trying to keep this movement moving forward. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's worth, you know, you have Lady Gaga who's out here who says that stuff. You have Kesha who just, you know, mm. had to pay Dr. Luke for defamation. Mm -hmm. um, who in text messages claimed that Katy Perry was raped. So you have all these women who are out right. here. Right. Um, and who knows what's truth? What's yeah. going on with them. Yeah. And what's true, what's not. Um, and I don't really know how we remedy that, but I know that that'll be an obstacle Yeah, uh, for this movement and, and, and keeping it alive. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. I don't know that I have an answer. Yeah, no, I think that's an answer. Other than, like, yeah. That's an answer. And I, and I think that's why I've imposed the question because I myself, like, find it difficult to understand what, like, not, ro I guess, role for lack of a better word, but, like, because I, I think I understand what roles I can play, but I don't understand what is the most high-impact thing that I can do. What is a thing that is not just speaking uh, on the topic, which is very important, right? Because there are people who, like, even on a basic level, when we define consent, aren't on the same page about what consent is, right? So even having, still having these educational conversations is is very important. But I, I don't know, I myself feel personally motivated to, to consider other things, other ways that I can contribute and help keep the movement alive that's not just talking about it. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, so Kat, what are your thoughts? I mean, two things come to mind. One being that when we say things like, uh, this is a win, you know, Weinstein you mm -hmm. know, will be in jail. It, we have to remember that at what cost? We have to remember mm -hmm. that it took mm -hmm. the bravery of several women. Of several women. Yeah. When we, also, I want to, say you know even when we talk about bill cosby it took the bravery of several women right and we have to remember there is a disparity right of how white women and black women are believed 
mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to sexual assault, when it comes to rape. Right. And in both cases, it was majority white women who came forward. And that's not to take away in any way, shape or form the bravery that it takes. But just in terms of like how that sprung in action mm-hmm. on these men. Yeah. So be mindful that, right. you know, like Weinstein wasn't just like, oh, OK, cool. He's being put in in jail. Yay, this is a win. We have to be mindful of like whose labor went into making this happen. Right. Because right. yet again, it had to fall on um, th- the victims, the survivors labor to do so, you know, to make that choice to speak up. Right. Um, and to have to relive an experience that, to say the least, is uncomfortable. Right. Um, Also, I think that we, you know, we use a lot of, like, celebrity um, conversation or issues um, to talk about, like, every day. And we need to make sure that, like, for the everyday guy, mm-hmm. um, you don't have to, you know, rape in particular is seen as this very, like, what does rape look like? Mm-hmm. It looks like a woman yelling, no, you're a stranger. It's an alleyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that we get into really problematic, like, um conversations when we just focus on the celebrity because then Mm -hmm. other men and i'm solely talking about men and y'all can come for me for that Mm -hmm. but like when men are like well you know i don't ever like pull a woman and force her to have sex therefore i'm not a rapist you know it can look like other things um sex without consent can look like other things it can look like you are a I don't know, 31-year-old who is, you know, having sex with a 17-year-old girl. Right. You know, like, it can look like a stuff right. like that. Right. Uh, and so, you know, we need to put pressure on these conversations to look a little bit more nuanced. Mm-hmm. And for within our community, you know, maybe not even just rape, but, you know, like, um, things that kind of perpetuate rape culture. Right. So things like street harassment <laughs> yes <laughs> and i know for some it's like oh get over it you know like you can't take a compliment but the fact that you feel so entitled that you can say such vulgarity um to me as i'm walking down the street is something that is very much upholding rape culture right and how do we have these conversations in a way that in all honesty aren't just echoing in the same chorus in the right. same circle right, right, right. Um, and that's accessible to you know our brothers our uncles our tios in mm-hmm. a way that they can understand it you know that they don't feel um uh not isolated ostracized, the word, ostracized you know like oh okay this is some like white people talk this mm. is some like academic shit mm-hmm. like you know that's not me right um how can we cultivate conversations that's going to be accessible to everyone Yeah, and I honestly, like, I think, and I've sort of, like, grappled with this for some time, um, and I will also speak in this moment specifically around men, just because statistically that's where the majority of of the uh, issue lies. Um, I think the answer is in the same way that we need white people to step up and hold their people accountable. I think we need more men in the conversation leading Mm. some of that, you know. Absolutely. Sorry, I want to change that. Yeah, yeah, go for it. You're absolutely right. I think that a lot of the time it's women who are doing the labor of educating and in 
to answer your question, I believe your question was something along the lines like, what can we do? Yeah. And I think that it's up to the men who, quote unquote, know better. Right. The ones mm-hmm. who are tuning in, who are listening, who are active, right. who know. When you're in that moment, when someone is saying or doing something that is upholding rape culture, that labor needs to be on you. Right. And I'm really passionate right now. I got like goosebumps because mm. I remember one time in particular where I was with a group of people and with two men who knew better, who DK are allies or whatnot, whatever language you want to use. And there was one individual, one guy, um, who said something along the lines of uh, someone was texting, a woman was texting one of these men and was saying, like, come over, oh, my God, you know, like, I'm so drunk, like, da-da-da-da, like, oh, my God, I really want you. And one individual was like, oh, my God, you should definitely go. And, like, she's basically asking to be raped. You should just go rape that bitch. Like, and this is something where it wasn't even nuanced. You know what I mean? It wasn't the language that was used. The language that was being used wasn't even Uh, something that we can, like, sit down and be like, let's unpack it. It's like, no, you are acknowledging that this is rape culture. (laughs) And I remember that I was literally... And I, I feel like I'm reliving it because I was infuriated. And I called this guy out. By the way, this guy was like a stranger to me. Mm. It was Let's say it, it was like four people and that person was a stranger to me. I did not know him. And the three other people, two men, one woman, uh, they were friends of mine. And I was the only one to speak up in that moment. And I did so, and I remember that that uh, guy's response when I told him, I'm like, are you really saying this? Like, Mm -hmm. do you know what you're saying? He's like, what's it to you? Were you raped? And I was like, whoa. (laughs) And I just felt very attacked in that moment. You know, that's no one's business. It's also like, yeah. But I I say this to say that, you know, I give that as an example of like, when something like that happens, you know, I think it's the responsibility on folks who have more privilege. And in that moment, it's men, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Who they can know better to call that person out or in or however you choose to. So that women who are constantly faced with harassment um, and faced with having to um, unravel rape culture and who experience rape culture, for you to do that labor. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I behind closed doors. Yeah. And in front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Both of those things are true. Right. You know, like in your locker room or whatever. The ball, yeah. People yeah. People call it, you know, like on the stoop, mm-hmm. you know, with your tios. Have that convo. It's uncomfortable. Right. It's hard to have. Right. But it is on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I and I and I think that there's a and this is. I think, uh, you know, in experiences that I've heard of and stuff, there's even a way in which, though, the way that our communities have been conditioned overall, where sometimes these men don't feel as empowered or feel like they can get a pass because there is a woman in the space who doubles down on these notions around like, oh, well, yeah, well, you know, if it was me, I would do this. And so that particular woman is out of the scope of whatever, because it is possible for a woman to, you know, actually just want to do that or like we don't need to like downplay her drunkness she just wants something you know like there's always and and, and I've been and I find myself in those moments having a hard time sometimes even calling out those women and it's not that I don't but I always I always wonder where it's coming from and I always find a weird sensitivity and with men I don't have that sensitivity with men I'm very quick to be like 
yo, what the fuck? That's wild. Like, why are you saying that? Da, 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 da. But when it's coming out of a woman's mouth, I think it's almost because I get shocked. Like, I get shocked yeah. when I find that there are women who who are like, well, maybe she was asking for it or I would never dress like that. Or like, what else did she think was going to happen if she if she did that? And so I, I say I only say that to say that the conversation of like you know, hey, we need to do better as a community. There's certain things like where I understand where maybe you might draw to this conclusion of how this person brought this onto themselves. That's actually incorrect. And let's go back and retract this through through a different lens so you understand why it's not the victim's fault. Um, but we're not always prepared to have these conversations. And so I wonder if part of the answer to my question is how do we create more safe spaces to have these conversations? Because sometimes the way we think they're supposed to go and the way they're supposed to be had is not going to be the case. And so we, we want to be able to hold everyone accountable but make sure that everybody um feels like they're being heard in the conversation because even for people who have the or what in my opinion would be the wrong opinion or the or not the the good con- opinion for the greater good like I think it's important to hear out why they yes. think that like because then how am I going to unteach you something that I don't know how you learned Ag- agree I think that this is a big problem with like cancel culture yes as hey. someone who dates men who has sex with men right i have the capacity with my partners to explain certain things to these men right right and i'm trying to undo that and or i don't know if that's a privilege or i don't know what you call it but i take on that responsibility whereas other women you know who don't really interact with men romantically or otherwise are like i'm not gonna fucking explain it because i don't have to deal with you you know like and and that's real too yeah but i have that capacity where it's like with the men that i have proximity to Mm -hmm. i choose to have that space of okay fuck like i'm really irritated that you don't know this that i have to explain this but i also acknowledge that i have to cultivate space for it right Right. You know, but I also need you to understand that I, this is labor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is emotional labor. Yeah. Right. I'm teaching you. You need to fucking acknowledge that. Right, right. Absolutely. And then my last sort of thing on this, uh, w- and when you said cancel culture, that, that ma- brought this up for me. I recall when, you know, news of Kobe Bryant's death came about. Um mm. I had a very strange reaction in terms of I actually didn't respond or have any feelings about his previous court case um, back 17 years ago. It was I was more responding to like the oh, my God, a helicopter crashed like that was my initial response was like a helicopter crash. And the person on there was Kobe Bryant and his daughter. Whoa. Like, you know, and before the 24 hours of the case had or of the incident had had passed before we even knew how many people were on the helicopter and who had died. The conversation was brought up hey like are we about to honor this man because remember what he did right and so I had a weird response in the sense where I was like oh yeah no we we should talk about that do we have to talk about it today is it today like can we is there room to leave reverence not for him specifically I'm not saying like oh because he died you got to respect him it's not about respecting him but because it wasn't just him and a pilot on a helicopter you know what I mean that means there's other people and then that means like as we're viewing headlines like I can't imagine knowing that somebody who was my sibling is on that helicopter and I'm fucking devastated and I'm seeing in the ticker new like you know reminding me oh and and the guy that was on the plane was a rapist and the guy that on the plane was a rapist the day of and I literally mean that specifically on the day of the incident and then you know the next day and quite frankly like get even with Gail like it's I don't think it's that no one has the right in these interviews to bring up that that court case right so I wasn't upset with her for wanting to have the dialogue I think you know if if what was said was true and the network tried to sort of like pull that 
that clip so that it would get more views and stuff like that, then that's like really fucked up. But we, we, it, two things can be true. It can be true that we need to have this conversation around rape culture and that he's and he's an example of that. But then it can also be true. And this this came out out of me doing a little bit more research, because, quite frankly, I was so young. I didn't remember all the details. So my lack of holding Kobe Bryant accountable over time was a I've never been a Lakers fan. So I like just know Kobe's one of the greatest. (laughs) And that's all I needed to know. But I was never like a Kobe fan. But but like I didn't I didn't remember what I remembered was like, oh, wasn't it that like they found that actually she was having sex with a bunch of other people and, and she was lying and not because I don't believe women, but I was so young. I didn't even have the the context to, to question further. But then I was like, oh, shit. But what did he do after that? Like, what was the response? And I think Kobe Bryant is both a great example of how men fall into this um, sort of like notion that they can just have the sort of sex that they want. And how do we create space for these men or women to to unlearn and to revert and like to go through a path of actual like accountability Mm. and what does a path of actual accountability look like and i believe at the end of like all the back and forth in the court cases he had said you know he did the classic you know i apologize i realized that the experience i was having that night was not the experience that she was having that night and i did not intend to blah 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 but you should believe her yeah you know and i just something about that for me i'm not saying it absolves him but I don't know that people would be willing to to end that apology right. with and you should believe her rather than being like, this is what I thought and this is what she saw. My bad. You know, it's like, this is what I thought, this is what she thought, but like there's value in this. Mm-hmm. So like, don't do the thing for me. Like, don't, go, like, let's talk about we this. We love binaries. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? We love binaries, whether that's race, whether that's like any other type of politics. We love to have a very concrete yes or no and like you said both of these things can be true and when i bring up cancel culture you know i question why are we being critical of systems or people or issues you know if it's not for the betterment of people right so are we being critical in order for us to feel better and entitled and to be like i know more than you or are we um criticizing things for folks to actually learn and grow right um i don't to be quite honest i am not very versed on kobe bryant um so i don't really particularly know his case uh, or the details of it um but yeah i put that out into the public of like when we criticize public figures or or Uh, folks that we have proximity to you know our personal friends are we criticizing them in order to shame them or Mm -hmm. are we criticizing them with the hope of growth right right i think that that's key um and that's the thing that we most need to be mindful in any movement right so like this is one movement but in any movement that is key because the minute that we decide that we don't care and we don't want to have a two-way conversation then there, there can't really be change like I I, in the sense of like it doesn't mean like oh I'm considering what you're saying so I'm going to change my point of view like what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong but like can there be learning if we're not in the same spaces or creating this the uh, somewhere whether it's somebody who's like you know who's stepping up or somebody who does actually hold responsibility how are we moving forward if we can't actually spare the share the space for dialogue but to reiterate I also acknowledge that for folks who are the victims or the oppressed group, 
that it can be really fucking tiring. Right. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about the dynamics of like rape culture and the fact that like women are majority of the time the victims, the survivors um, who experience uh, rape or rape culture, um, it can be fucking tiring for us to not only experience it, but then also have to, it. yeah, yeah to, to undo it. it, you know, and do the labor of educating folks. So that's why it's important for folks in the privileged group, you know, in this case, like for men, you know, to be the ones to speak up and take on some of that labor. Cause like we yeah. are tired. Yeah. <laughs> tired as hell. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I have some? Okay. Now we will move into our tuta loca es, where we call motherfuckers out for doing the most. And today we are talking about the unfortunate passings of Camila, Camila Maria Concepcion mm-hmm. and Alexa Negron. Camila was a trans Latina activist and writer who is gaining most popularity most recently for Hentified, for her work on Hentified on Netflix. And then Alexa Negron was um, killed in Puerto Rico um, right. shortly before that. And you just, you said Alexa was, tw- your, Alexa 27, was 27, 27 and Camila was 28. Oh, um, and... Uh, a little bit about um, Alexa Negron, Luciano, I want to throw in because, you know, we got to have all our names mm-hmm. in the mix. Um, she was homeless um, and she had a presence on social media because people made fun of her. Um, and so the night that she was killed, she was in, went to a McDonald's bathroom, was using the bathroom. Another woman in the bathroom accused her of peeping. So 12 hours later, the police find Alexa, and there is rumored to be a video online of her death that I have yet to see myself, um, where it, the New York article, New York Times article describes it as Alexa is standing in the headlights of the car, and you hear the shots that are fired, and as you hear the shots that are fired, you hear laughter from those who are surrounding her in that moment. I find, to say the least, that the work that allies to the trans community are doing for some of us, not all of us, is insufficient. We do not do enough legwork to make sure that safe spaces are truly safe and the way that we need to make sure a space is safe is by creating a space of intolerance. And I mean really, really heavy intolerance. I mean, people need should be shook about this notion that they can step out of line and just kill a trans person or make a trans person uncomfortable and fuck with their mental health and fuck with their status because they feel above them. And if, I would argue if there was like a social pyramid of how well people are or are not treated in this world at the bottom of that period are trans women of color and it's it boggles my mind how we find it easy to umbrella trans issues under oh yeah it's just another issue on the list of issues blah 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 blah, blah. and it gives it this nonchalantness um, which then ensues us being very nonchalant about the way that we our allies. So for me, I'd say, yeah, I, I talk about trans issues. I, you know, I engage the trans community. I share articles, blah, blah, blah. But like, I also share memes, right? So like, is that really labor? Is that really the work that I'm doing? Or am, are we doing the work to find organizations that are doing the work in the ground and supporting them or, or calling people out, right? Like calling people in and then calling them out. Um, are we holding institutions accountable? And even if we are not the trans person, I'll use the bathroom thing as an example, who, who needs a you know, uh, uh, equal gender.
gender bathroom, maybe I asked for it anyway because I want to create space for everyone. And even though I don't have a trans person on my staff that I'm aware of, at least, there that should be there. For example, like there's just there's just basic things that we can be doing that we don't do, and we only are we only react after the fact and when people are getting killed as opposed to being proactive Mm. about creating the safe spaces with the privilege that we have even before the trans person crosses our paths because that is a true ally and that is a true social justice warrior, right? You learn, right? Because there is that element of really needing to understand the issue and learn the issue. You sympathize, you empathize, but even before all that work happens, if you know, hey, the goal here is this is a space of intolerance, then get busy doing that work in the way that you can. Get busy, um, I think also, you know, can be a very ambiguous term. Also, yeah. Right? So it's like, I think that what's important for folks to be mindful of, maybe who don't have a proximity to... Um, trans people Mm. and in particular trans people of color is that if you are educating yourself from a particular person that you're following online um, or maybe you're aware of a um, organization or a coalition that is doing a lot of the labor you know like put your money right put your money (laughs) into those people right Um, that does go a long way so for example in Puerto Rico you can um, support Colectiva Feminista Mm -hmm. Um, it's a coalition of a lot of Puerto Rican um, femmes women who are doing a lot of work to undo the um, violence against women and trans people, trans women of color. Um, so put your money where it talks. And I'm doing a lot of reflecting myself because I was made aware via social media of the passing of these two women, these two right. trans women, um, and reflecting on how I can be more intentional. Because you're right. Like a lot of it is like, okay, you're aware. Let me like share this. Let me share this. Uh, story but how can i hire trans women of color you know how can i um give them money in order to support their artistry how can i hire them you know to further their career to put them on to amplify their stories or their um artistry um and just a lot of reflection around that yeah i I'm trying to say this because I don't want to cry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one one thing that has been really, really informative for me being Skittles' sister mm. is even, like, the way people work so hard to peg people and put them in boxes in order to give themselves permission to treat people a certain way. And when I think about how I move the world around the world with Skittles by my side and, and the moments in which I see people trying to put him in a trans box just because he wears makeup or has long hair, it really terrifies me to think that. Because there's a hate in, towards the community overall, not just trans people, that, that you know somebody might just want to peg him in a box and, like that's, and that's that. And, and then once, one day the story is about Skittles. And I... <laughs> You know what I mean? And like, I think that it's, 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 I just think it's important that we understand that sometimes when we think these things don't affect us as closely as they can, you're wrong. You're wrong. And like our, our proximities, like the three of us at this table, even to Camila, like I didn't get to meet Camila personally. Skittles knew Camila. Camila was a fan of our work. You know what I mean? And it's just like, how, how have I made sure that 
because I'm s circling the same rooms as somebody like Camila that people know that like as a community we don't tolerate that shit right and and I'm not saying that the reason Camila's uh you know ended up you know taking her deciding to end her life was because of the rooms she was in specifically in our in our artistic community pero coño like if 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 you walk through life and even if you have just that one safe space sometimes that's what it takes like that is what it takes is to have that one safe space or that one person who will have your back and we really really can't wait until it's a story like that or or the story that I fear and I really do fear that in my heart I should you not and I think it's the first time I've said it out loud you know what I mean like that's not it's not sufficient we're not we're not doing sufficient work And, and, and it needs to be done. And it's, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of layers. There's a lot to learn. I get it. I get it. I get it. But, but we have to start somewhere. And we need to prioritize this. That's really all I have to say. Woo! Ladies, we're on check out. Don't drink and feel. Disclaimer. Oh do not drink and feel. Oh. Or do. Or do. Or do. Or do. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. Uh, yeah. I think that uh, the la the one last thing that I wanted to add on to the tail end of, of this subject is that as someone who, you know, gender identity, is, I feel that gender identity is uh, a journey, you know? Yes. Um, and as someone who was brought up identifying as a gay man and now has like gone into identifying as gender non-conforming and mm. you know exploring pronouns and wearing makeup and uh you know being more femme and st and embracing that side of me because this isn't something that developed overnight this right. is something that has literally always been a part of me and has always been innate you know like just embedded in me I don't understand where the hate comes from. Like, to have somebody, to hate someone so much and not know them, to put them in front of a, a car and shoot them and be laughing and, and all that stuff. Like, and it, I think, I guess, if there was ever a community that could relate to this the most, it'd be the black community right. with racism and the extreme things that happen with that. Um, But I just don't understand where that hate comes from, yeah. you know? And, like, I can't control it, <laughs> you know? Right. Like, I can't control this part of me. Why does this create this feeling inside of anybody else? And I think, you know, like, for you as, like, a gay man or a gay non-binary person to feel like I don't understand that is so valid. And I encourage uh, those of us who have identities that <coughs> don't experience that, right? So folks who are either straight, um, who are cis, aka who, you know, feel comfortable in their right. own gender assignment at birth, Um, to be the ones to investigate more. Why mm -hmm. is it that this happens? Why is it that people feel this much hatred about a person entering the bathroom or whatnot? What is it about 
this person that makes us quote unquote uncomfortable. Right. Where does that uncomfortability actually, where is it rooted? Yeah. You know, it, I feel like it is our responsibility to do that work, to undo that, to hold other people's hands um, and, and call them in, not yeah. call them out, but call them in because by calling them out, we're going to ostracize them and they're going to feel, you know, exiled so um you know i want to echo what you you feel and that what you feel is absolutely valid right Mm -hmm. that you know you don't understand why folks would ever have this type of hatred but i want to call on other folks who don't fall within the lgbtq i plus community queer community um to do that heavy lifting to do that labor to research and to understand why in order to then educate other folks absolutely thank you thank you for that um and it's ignorance right but it's uprooting the ignorance right and understanding what feeds the tree oh my god Uh, wait pass the salt Mm. wow wow all right and now it is time for our plate of the day so capitalizing and crippling the coochie how advertising has defined standards for women through product advertisements so you know first of all we know that gender norms are a thing we know that advertising media blah 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 informs a lot of the opinions as to why things are the way they are even down to this concept of getting a wedding ring and being proposed to in a certain Mm. way was a marketing scheme the idea that blue is for boys and pink is for girls was a marketing scheme like you know like all of this like we know marketing pays a heavy, heavy hand in how we are socialized. It is, it is fact. It is written in books, right? Mm. So I, but I've always been that bitch who like, even growing up would watch commercials. First of all, the thing I would notice the most was how like none of the women looked like, like me and they were all white women. And even when it was like on Univision and shit, I'd be like, yeah, a white woman. That's still a white woman. Um, you know, um, but the way in which I've, not only are they prescriptive in terms of like what type, what the women look like, but they're prescriptive on how you should be indulging and experiencing these products, right? And it's still framed. So like this idea that it's like, you know, if I, if I'm showering with herbal essence I feel like a powerful blah 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 and it's just like mm. the way that you should be experiencing this is the same and I remember and the reason I use herbal essences as a as an example is because I remember when I would fight with my mom why, well, why can't I use that why can't I use that why can't I use that because mm. she would often buy products from DR and stuff like that for my hair because of sulfate right <laughs> 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 and, you know, and I didn't even I didn't know any of that shit and that's before I was woke with my hair I was still getting my blowouts and shit and because in my head I'm like well when I get my blowouts at the end and the this happens like that can happen on my head, but I didn't understand my hair and the roots of my hair. And I like it, into this age is when I've seen my hair look like this. So in my head, when these products would get used and people would be like, I know I no sirve para tu cabello. I'd be like, why? Cause mm. I'm black. That's weird. Why can't I have this flowy experience? And, and the, and the detangling is never uh, it was always a, you, you know what I mean? And I'm like, why can't, so, but why do, why is the product like telling me how this experience should be? And then when I don't have that experience, I set myself up for disappointment. I judge myself. I feel like I am not the archetype of a woman and what women are desired to be because even through the use of your product, I don't even have, I don't even have that right. You know, in mm. addition to all of these other norms and all of these other things that people put upon us. So, you know, that's how I came up with the plan of the day today was really <laughs> meditating on some of that. Um, and Kat, you've done some work around thinking about 
products that are advertised towards women and how we can reshape some of these narratives. Can you give us a little insight on the project you worked on? I think what you are... uh, (laughs) (laughs) I think what you are trying to get to is most recently, um, even though for a really long time people have called me an influencer, I just recently, for the first time ever, signed my first quote-unquote influencer contract and that was with you by kotex um and for for my first assignment with them um you know they gave me a lot of liberty i don't just say yes to a lot of um contracts or folks who want to work with me because I take in consideration the audience that I have built, the voice Mm. that uh, is important to me, the issues that are important to me. Um, And when you deal with brands, it's kind of difficult because it gets problematic. Right. (laughs) Wow. My voice went very hard for that. (laughs) Is that problematic? (laughs) Is that problematic? Um, But I, I did work with you by Kotex years ago and they approached me yet again. Um, and what appealed to me was the liberty, uh, the creative liberty. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to share this story that uh, one of the first assignments that I did for them, um, for me, what I did was make a video um, entitled Three Periods. And how I constructed this video was a lot of B-roll, a.k.a. like no one's really talking into cameras, just voiceover. I re- recorded conversations with my grandmother and then my mother, my grandmother on my mother's side, um, about, you know, their introduction to their periods. You know, when they got their period, what their uh, parent, their mother said to them, um, what it felt like. And I used lots of, like, insert shots kind of reenacting um, those moments. Um, and, you know, I used, like, faux, uh, faux, faux blood in these inter... Uh, in these reenactments and I showed Kotex this video and you know unfortunately due to I guess their brand guides they rejected that video because they wanted the faux blood to be um, extracted from that video um, right, because even in the ads we usually see, they pour a the cup blue. of water. Blue, <laughs> yeah, the blue. It's still, which you know, know, for years I didn't realize that in those commercials the blue was supposed to be blood. Yeah, like I never realized that until my adult years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so for me that was a weird experience because they specifically reached out to me and contracted me. Um, in order to call out the taboos, right? And part of the taboo is seeing the blood, you right. know, like normalizing the fact that like women bleed, bleed <laughs> right. and that's just what happens. Right. Um, and so that video actually didn't uh, fit into the quota of me being an influencer, and I just posted that as like independently posting right. it, and it did really well in terms of views. I forget how many views it got, um, specifically like on IG. Oh, I'm looking right now, like 139,000 views mm. on IG. But you know, due to their criteria and due to how much further they have to grow um, as a brand, they rejected that. Um, I forget what you asked me. No, no, no. Yeah, just the experience. <laughs> you know, I just yeah. want to hear about the experience of that because clearly your campaign was coming from a place of the true experience that you were having as a woman yeah. who, who used but, this product. But I want to uh, emphasize, you know, like that video, three periods kind of um, 
drew people on the journey of my grandmother who grew up in in Colombia. Um, she went to a nunnery uh, mm. for uh, as a school. I forget what the exact term is. Um, and so she was very shamed mm. when it came to her period. Like mm. you were not supposed to talk about your period at right. all. It, you you were very siloed. Um, and then of course my grandmother passed that on to my mom. Right. And then my mom, uh, as being one of seven or one of five women in her uh, as her siblings, she found it really weird. And mm-hmm. so she took it upon herself to when then she had both me and my sister. To be like, no, fuck this. Like, I'm going to teach my s- my daughter something different. And so I grew up with a mother who, like, from day one was, like, she brought me into the bathroom. And I saw my mom as she had her period, you mm. know, like, throw out her pad. My mom didn't use tampons. Right. Um, throw out her pad. And, like, my mom tells me stories of how when I was little, I would be like, I want to wear a pad. And so <laughs> before I even had my period, I would walk around with, like, a huge bulge. That's um, That's a whole nother combo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, a bulge in my pants, you know, wearing, like, an adult size um, pad. And so that's what the video that I made was um, kind of encompassing how, like, the stigma around menstruation kind of lessened with each generation allowing us to be more free and more accepting of our menstruation yeah no mm. and that and i i remember when i saw the video i i fucking oh, loved it and i shared it. i think i shared it a few times oh. actually because i was like yes this is this is the story my i mean my period story was very different where my mom was very uncomfortable talking about yeah. these things because but my mom was an orphan by the age of 13 mm. like you know she, she did not grow up with her mother being the one who like taught her because her mother died before her father so i forget how young she was when her mom died but she was pre-menstruation age Mm -hmm. right so like for her navigating that space was very awkward and so when she got that paper from school that was like oh can your child participate in sex education Mm -hmm. class stuff at first she was like no 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 and then she was kind of like actually i don't want to do this shit myself (laughs) you know what i mean so i know so i learned my my like sort of like you know puberty education through a program in school um but it was very technical and I remember thinking like you know when I get my period it's going to flow out of me like what I saw in the commercials like so the same rate at which the cup is is releasing that blue liquid I thought that periods meant that I was going to be like an open faucet (laughs) of blood like just like you know what I mean just like and I think that's important to note just to say that like especially as a woman like even though I was a young woman and I wasn't at that point in my life yet when I was watching those ads I was digesting the standard of like what my experience was going to be moving forward Um, and so and and I'll add on again and when I'm not seeing people of color you know what I mean and then when as a woman of color I have a different experience and this is not so much with pads and now we're talking about hair or makeup and things like that when I don't have the same experience as the person I saw in the ad I start to then feel less than because I don't match what it's supposed to do like if it like if this product is magic the magic don't work on me because I'm black and you know and that's what you know that's what I went to school for advertisement. I actually went to FIT yes. f- uh, and studied advertising uh, and marketing communications because I thought that was the way I was going to change media. And right. so that is honestly the way they teach you. It's like an open blanket uh, way generalization of how to market to people. Right. Right. So when it comes to periods, it's like general. It's like PMS. Oh, my God, this sucks. We use white women. We use this. And I, I told you prior to recording, it's like I actually never experienced PMS. So I felt really, really, really um, 
outside of like the general consensus of like how women feel when they're on their periods and now that Mm -hmm. i'm almost 30 i researched and most recently i've been feeling the the feelings of like general pmsing right so of like mood swings of like crying (laughs) yeah (laughs) of like depression of having cravings and being like wait what the hell is this you know like Mm. why is this happening now i'm almost 30 you know what is going on and really like do, do advertisements tell you that like pms can also spike and change Mm-hmm. from when you hit puberty and when you're 30 no right. they don't tell you that mm. right absolutely not they use a, fu- a a very blanket statement yeah of what your menstruation looks like yep. you know and when you do that you ostracize people and you make people feel bad and you can uh and that's used in advertisement of latinidad yep. you know like if yep. you don't fit into this general uh, blanket statement of of uh, fitting into quote unquote Latinidad of being like light skinned, kind of ambiguous, caramel, dique mm-hmm. brown, mm-hmm. you know, then you don't fit into it. And then people question who you are and why uh, you don't look like them. Yep. Um, and that fits into all forms of advertisement, whether yep. that's menstruation, whether that's like, you know, ethnic marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then it doesn't allow you to know that some some of the products we're consuming as women, it's it's because it's a response to something that maybe is a little gross. And maybe it's like I think of deodorant commercials and I think mm. like how there's always like butterflies and shit popping out the bitch's armpit when she's putting the thing on. And it's just like, oh, OK, so like like that's that's what it is. Then the opposite of what I guess smelly and man like is butterflies and flowers popping out of my armpits. Do you, rem- <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when secret slogan was strong enough for a man made for, for a woman? woman? Yeah. Yeah. I for some reason throughout this entire like th- and even the idea of like having this conversation that was the first thing that popped into my head like yeah. having that ad where it was like I, and I remember the ads were always like these men in a gym and they're right. all sweating and it was right. this ad for deodorant that was catered towards women yeah um and obviously they've changed that nowadays but yeah but also like okay Even i think of I'm sorry no finish your thought no 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 i, I think that was that was done and, <laughs> and i think of degree or well old spice has gone the comedy route like but before they weren't necessarily like comedic but when i think of like uh what was degree is that is that the one that it is i think of, i'm looking at the low anyway i think it's degree so and it's just like it would be guys like pumping iron mm. and then it was like dark background and then like you know Close up of the arms, close up of the thing, mm-hmm. and it'd be like, men, da, 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 da. stay fresh with with degree, <laughs> and it was like mm-hmm. this, like powerful, like you know what I mean. And, and I'd watch that, but like, where's the ad of a Serena Williams on the mm-hmm. court? <laughs> you know, like that same energy is is real, right? Yep. Like, fuck it. Let me say something. Sometimes when we a little bigger, we sweat a little more. Sometimes the experience don't need to be you on a tennis court. It can be Listen. you running for the bus. <laughs> secret. That, <laughs> you know what, and what, what, what they're not advertising <laughs> is how secret and dumb and all these deodorants are great for chafing thighs. You put that shit Ooh, in between, between your, your thighs. thighs. Like. You know what? I, we, have, we have an issue where um, as someone who started a YouTube channel and who really like, you know, uh, took on social media in order to combat the norms of traditional media. Um, We now see social media influencers 
take on the traditional, really oppressive, toxic behaviors of traditional media. So what do I mean by that? What I mean is then people like myself who, you know, have a big following on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, or what have you, or YouTube, you know, are, are given opportunities to advertise certain products. Well, then you don't really advertise them in a way that's realistic, mm. right. you know, right, that like, right. uh, you know, what have you have a deodorant, as you said, you know, and be like, well, you know, like I really sweat sometimes. And actually, I don't use my deodorant just in my armpits. I use it also on my <laughs> thighs. What you see is a lot of like people advertise and mimic traditional uh, advertisements, right? right? So it's just like, hey, me smiling at the beach. Oh my God. Right. Use the deodorant. Hashtag, you know, self love. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 And uh, <laughs> <laughs> use the I deodorant. Will say, <laughs> 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 I will say, you know, I was really hesitant when I was approached by Kotex to come on board as a uh, influencer one because folks had been calling me an influencer for a really long time and I hadn't actually signed any contract <laughs> that uh, considered me as an influencer um, and secondly because I didn't want to be forced to create content by anyone uh, anyone's means you know right. anyone's direction I have been making a name for myself under my own guidelines and so what appealed to me by Kotex was they were like no we want you to do exactly what you do of course there's always a compromise there right um but for the most part I was able to do whatever I wanted to do you know so um I was able to make an entire like literally for a photo shoot mm-hmm. being like uh this is what women do on their period we are still really active on our period we play soccer and make it very like avant-garde i was able to um challenge myself as a producer and produce like a four-part uh photo series um, I was also able to use the pronouns they and make sure that like when it comes That's to powerful. periods, it's not just she. I know there were a couple of people who came onto my Instagram and asked me, you know, this is a little bit transphobic because you are not um, including trans women who don't have their period or men who still uh, menstruate. Um but at the end of the day, I was only able to use myself as a subject mm. um, that was in my contract. <laughs> That's why they contracted me was to use right. myself as a as a subject. But I made sure that the pronouns I used um, were not just specific to women, right? Because mm-hmm. I acknowledge that there are men who still menstruate. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think small little victories like that are really important. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's just like, you know, I think uh, one of the big takeaways here is just like there's a way in which we we have been conditioned. And there are certain like products and ways in which I view products that are geared towards women. And I still find myself thinking, oh, well, do I fit into that box? Was that product for me? And recently for me, it's been more about hair products. Um, And like even in this curly hair space, I just... I've always lived in a weird space of like, I'm not super girly, but I'm not a tomboy either. Mm. You know what I mean? So like if you're advertising too sporty and too whatever that, like I'm like, oh, that's dope. I can't run like that bitch. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm not that bitch. Mm. But then I see, and then, you know, a lot of it is like the, the products are being represented by the women who are creating the products, which is awesome. And I'm like, wow, and I'm nothing like these women. So when I'm yeah. looking at the advertising and stuff, I'm like, 
you know, obviously I'm old enough to decipher like, oh, this is a product and it's a good product, so I'm gonna use it despite how it's advertised. But like sometimes when you're in spaces or events and you're seeing the activations around, and I think of it, because when we go to conferences mm-hmm. like YouTube's conference or Hispanicize, and they have booths, right? Mm-hmm. And you're like in the face of how this brand is choosing to present itself outside mm-hmm. of your my screen. I feel, I don't, I feel weird. I feel like I, even in like taking like whatever post pictures and whatever step and repeat thing they have, I feel like I don't even fit that mold. So like, ah, I can skip that picture or, or I only mm. do it because Skittles is like, no, this is good for content. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, you're right. Cause it's good for content. But like, I don't feel like I'm this girl. I'm not the poster child essentially mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Um, and so there are ways in which I still buy into the fact that I'm not the poster child, but there are some, arguably, there are some brands who are trying. I don't know that anyone has gotten it perfect, but I remember when Dove did that that beauty campaign, mm-hmm. and it was like, okay, so rather than, and this is what I mean, like, now commercials want to be making whole movies for their shit. Great. So now don't <laughs> sell me the bullshit of, like, you needed to stay within certain frames, because if you can have a whole military story be a car commercial, let's say, for yeah. example, like, then why can't we dig into these topics in a certain way? And Dove did this lightly when they did a campaign years ago where they asked people to describe themselves and had an artist like draw them yeah. and they looked really oh, ugly yeah. but then they had people who knew them yes. describe them and yes. the picture looked so much like like drastically different um and and that campaign to me was so powerful because as I was seeing the people describe themselves I was like how would I describe myself mm. and I started to un I started to be like wow bitch your shit would be real ugly mm if you did this and it taught me something and it's like I don't I happen to not use Dove soap because I like natural soaps and you know oils and shit like that (laughs) but but I respect the brand but there's a a respect for the brand you know what I mean and there's an engagement of that brand where I don't throw shade to Dove and I don't shade people for for throwing Dove and not that I shade people for using other products unless it's like Chick-fil-A and this is now food industry unless it's like something that is very clearly problematic and you're still engaging it but like yeah, I don't know. I just I just think like I think about these things a lot because I still am in the process of discovering the kind of woman I define myself as. Um, you know, like yes, I know I'm straight. Yes, I like to think I'm powerful. Yes, I'm black as fuck. Yes, I'm Latinx as fuck. But like what else is like but like what does that mean about who I am? Like what are my behaviors? What are my tendencies? What are the things I care about? Like and and advertising has played such a role in the way in which I feel I can or cannot express that. So I just thought it was important to dig into the topic. Yeah. And I think everything is an advertisement right <laughs> i think some people fool themselves into being like i am not a brand right you know? and right i even use that terminology of like i haven't <laughs> i'm not a brand but in itself i know that i am right you know mm-hmm. that people right. uh reach out to me for a specific type of voice right. for a specific type of energy you know people are going to reach out to y'all for a specific type of energy and right. that in itself is a brand um and so respecting you know like you said like you respect that dove advertisement that spoke truth you know right. to a certain degree of like what beauty standards are and kind of highlighted that and allowed other people to see themselves in that right absolutely <sighs> that's what happens after you eat a bite of yogurt. Activia. <laughs> because that's how I take a shit on the toilet when I eat <laughs> yogurt that's supposed to help me shit. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well. Uh, what What are some, like, I just, like, as a, one last little thing, what are some, like, super ridiculous ads that you can remember right now? I, I know I mentioned the, the, the made for a man or... Made for a woman, made, uh, you know what the fuck I just yeah. said. <laughs> I mean, I think some of the ridiculous ones have been definitely. Uh, I don't want to open up a new 
can <laughs> have a conversation. Uh, I'm excited to see how you all edit this. Uh, <laughs> are a lot of advertisements that are shown during Super Bowl. Yes. Because Super Bowl is a time where um, advertisers understand the eyeballs, right? Mm -hmm. It is a time for millions of people who are watching. And so folks capitalize on that. So you have... Yes. Uh, brands like Carl's Jr. hop on board and sexualize a hamburger and have like <laughs> yeah. Kim Kardashian or yeah. Kate Upton. Oh my God, I remember GoDaddy when GoDaddy Go first Daddy, came out and it was know? all sexy and women? It was like and I was just like, like hypersexualization of women. Yeah. It wasn't actually necessarily hypersexualization of women of color, but just like women in general, which obviously right, right, trickles right. to women yeah. of color. Um, yeah, mm. and then I think that's ridiculous. You know, it's like, when, why the fuck would a hamburger be so sexy? Right. Or right. like the super sensitive Google ad that they had up this year. There was like this like ad that we were yeah, watching there, there this year. Yeah, was a year. sad one. And it was, it was really about memories like and like, I think wasn't it something about Alzheimer and they like went that route of like memories and like how yeah. we capture memories. I liked that commercial. I'm going to be honest. I didn't see any of the advertisements. I was just very waiting oh. for J-Lo. I was very appalled <laughs> at the uh, representation of quote-unquote Latinidad. Yeah. That's another combo. No, quick tidbit. Yeah. So after having watched it before, because I felt that way very strongly beforehand and only ended up actually watching it because my brother, who lives across the street, was already having it on and Skittles was over. And I was like, all right, well, we're actually, we went there to eat. I'll, I'll yeah, we went there for the food. Uh, sorry, family. <laughs> I didn't go there to see you. I actually went there because we were hungry. And so I went and I ate and obviously it was on. So we, we watched it and like... I was surprised to see that so many black dancers and stuff was mm. were incorporated. I was disappointed that in seeing that they took the area of opportunity to bring other talent on the stage, like Bad Bunny and stuff like that, that we didn't. And even there, there was one of the songs, and I can't remember the name, because I'm a reggaeton fan, but I'm bad with names of songs and which artists. But there was a song where it was like, I think you were J Balvin or when Bad Bunny was out, that there's another reggaeton artist of color who's on that same song. And like, you know what I mean? I just wanted to see more people of color, but I saw a lot of people of color on the stage, which surprised me. Mm. And I feel like they took some nuances to try to highlight to certain issues. Is it sufficient? That's arguable, but I was glad that it wasn't completely dismissive, was mm. how I walked away from it. Yeah. I was personally, um, you know, Super Bowl, as someone who has studied um, advertisement, and in particular, um, the eyeballs that are involved in um, the Super Bowl halftime show and the advertisements, you know, I was really, really surprised at how many folks were complicit in celebrating the representation of quote-unquote Latinidad mm -hmm. um, with like J-Lo, J Balvin, Shakira, and Bad Bunny. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is that like, yes, of course you can enjoy the entertainment value. I'm, right. As a Colombian, I was like, yes, yeah, Shakira. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so I enjoyed it from an entertainment value, but I also recognize the ways in which uh, on a larger scale and so many millions of people watching, you know, this is what they see mm -hmm. as representing quote unquote Latinidad. And so when you say things like, you know, hashtag 
um, Latino gang, Latino gang mm-hmm. which is a term that's used right. to, quote unquote, unify us. Mm-hmm. Is it actually unifying us if folks are being erased in that representation? Right. right? So, for example, we have, you know, like um, in the Super Bowl halftime show, a big concentration was reggaeton. Right. So, like, where are where is the black representation right. like Osuna? You yes. know, like the traditional I think it was Osuna who was on the, the song because I remember my niece. It was my five-year-old niece who asked about the black artist. And I was like, oh, shit, this song has a black reggaetonero. Yeah. Sorry, and to continue, I don't, continue. I don't, yeah, yeah. don't want to focus a lot on the celebrity factor right. of, like, what J-Lo should have done, what right, right. Uh, Shakira should have done. It's more on I want to push folks who viewed the halftime show and who had no criticism of mm. the halftime show. Mm. Um, because I think folks like myself who are not black, who fit into the model, uh, minority Latino representation of being like this, like ambiguous, non-black, mm-hmm. um, person, um, you know, we, we celebrate that because it brings us joy. Right. And so are we upholding anti-blackness mm-hmm. because we, you know, we prioritize our joy before the um, uncomfortability or the erasure yes. of black folks. Yes. And so yes. it's. I felt like the halftime show was a missed opportunity to for folks like J Lo and folks like Shak- Shakira to. They are. They're like. I don't know. Someone please call me out. But I don't have the statistics. But. Are they not in like the one percent? You know, they're in this celebrity factor where yeah. they could have advocated for other folks to come on board, um, yeah. to take up space here. And here's where, like, I because I that was one of my immediate like at like wonderment, not even specifically to them, but like how the show gets produced altogether. And there was an article that talks about how, like, first of all, they don't get paid; they're there voluntarily, and the accolade is like, oh, I can say that yeah, I did the did halftime the show. Ball. They it is produced by the NFL. And they like, you know what I mean? And so I I only say that to say that doesn't mean that their star power isn't enough that they can demand shit. I agree with that. But I just even like ourselves sometimes when we're working on shit and similar to what you were saying about the ads of like, oh, yeah, like it had to be about me because contractually that's what it was. So I, I couldn't have a trans person, you know, featured. So I wonder what the logistics of that are. But I also... With both of them, like, and and I, I don't want to bog down on the celebrity factor, but just because they both have made music with black people, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like, even if they were like, oh, we have to stay in our catalog, but let's be intentional about, like, you know, like, let Wyclef Jean come on stage. Let, I, you yeah. know. And yes. they're already star power, and it's hard, right? Because it's tricky. And I also think, just to say, because this conversation is so hard and, like, Two, th- two things can be true at once. Like yes. you said, it is true that that could be a moment of pride and the performance, like actually like the performance itself right. was a great performance and like all that stuff can be true. And people trying to explore this conversation around blackness is not one that's egregious and likes to say that the talent that every person on that stage displayed, not just the celebrities, was of no value. It was of complete value, mm-hmm. right? But in a larger NFL argument, and I'll even move away from this, like, you know, black Latinos... My thing was like, even participating in the first place was an erasure of the black people who have been fighting really hard Mm -hmm. to hold this organization accountable in the first place. You know what I mean? I want to make it 
as accessible to people. And when I mean people, I mean non-black people, non-black Latinx yeah. people, non-black Latino people that like right. maybe you don't know the politics of um, how J-Lo and Shakira came to accept um, performing at the halftime show. You don't know the fact that like several other black uh, celebrities and have, you know, turned it down like yes. Cardi B, like Rihanna. Ri- Rihanna. I was going to be like, Rihanna. Rihanna. <laughs> like Rihanna turned it down. I don't even want to get into that. I just want to get into the fact of like, how did we consume it? When you right. saw J-Lo and when you saw Shakira take to the stage and when you saw J Balvin and when you saw Bad Bunny take to the stage, how did you consume it? Right. You have to understand that this stage speaks volumes. Right. People pay millions, millions. of dollars yeah. to advertise close during to this. Yeah, to close, close to billions. To billions. Yeah. Clo- close to billions to advertise during this show because they realize the eyeballs that are associated to this show. Yeah. And so when you see, uh, quote unquote, Latino people being represented, mm-hmm. and when it doesn't include any black people, what does that mean? Yes. You know? Mm. And yes. when you say that hashtag Latino gang um, means unification of us, what does it mean when black folks don't feel unified right. by the current state of our representation? Right. So if you feel that we are unified, but you hear that people are not unified by this, what are you going to do mm. to ensure that we are unified? Yes. And that doesn't mean that you cannot enjoy entertainment. Exactly. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy the artistry that is, you know, J Balvin, that is Bad Bunny, that is uh, J Lo, uh, that is Shakira. It doesn't mean that you right. should be shamed to enjoy the artistry. Right. Right. It just means be a little more critical and ask for more. Yes. Woof. Beautiful wow, note. Yeah. Beautiful note to end on. Kat, thank you so much for being with <laughs> us today. Any any shout outs? Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on all platforms, YouTube, Instagram, uh, Twitter, et cetera, et cetera, all under the same handle, which is It's Cat Lasso. Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Skittles, where can they find us? Well, you guys can find us at Ladies Who Bruncha on Instagram, Ladies Who Bruncha on YouTube, Ladies Bruncha on Twitter. And on all your favorite streaming platforms. Awesome. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And until next time, bronche. Bronche. <laughs> bronche, bronche. That's how we say brunch. Here's to the ladies who say music with their lunch. You want that bochinche? Hey,